Thank you very much. Now, here's an attractive couple, Gail Farrell from Durant, Oklahoma, Dick Dale from Algona, Iowa. Excuse me. Let's listen to Gail and Dale and one of the newer songs. One toke over the line, sweet Jesus, one toke over the line. Sitting downtown in a railway station, one toke over the line. Waiting for the train that goes home, sweet Mary, hoping that the train is on time. Sitting downtown in a railway station, one toke over the line. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Lawrence Welk. Thank you very much, kids, for that beautiful number. <laughs> that was something really uh, special. That was Gail and Dale. Uh, from the Lawrence Welk show, uh, singing the uh, hit, One Toke Over the Line, by a song by Brewer and Shipley, uh, Mike Brewer and Tom Shipley. Uh, that is the number eight song on our top 10 greatest Jesus pop songs of all time. As voted in by a carefully algorithmic system that we designed. And some of you, our listeners, actually voted on. So that came in number eight. And that song, uh, It Was Lost on the People Performing It, is about marijuana. Yeah, it's one toke uh, over the line. Uh, and what's particularly hilarious, I mean, if there's... Anything that would reckon, <laughs> that would uh, represent the uh, Nixon administration, it might be the Lawrence Welk show. And apparently they had no idea that they were singing a drug song. And even as they were singing this song, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe as a child, you know, the, my worst possible scenario as a child was if we happened to be at my one grandparent's house on Saturday night, we were forced to watch the Lawrence Welk show. And so while this wholesome couple were singing this song, Vice President Spiro, the Agenue was uh, labeling uh, the, the writers of the song as subversives and actually got the FCC, the band, the playing of this song from the airways. So it peaked at number 10 on the charts in this country and number five in Canada in 1971. But who knows if Agnew had not intervened or perhaps if it hadn't been sung on the Lawrence Welk show, it might have been more successful. This is true. I mean, the thing, these are big historical contingencies and questions, which will be pondered for the ages. Well, so why don't we uh, listen to the original version and uh, then we will talk about it.
Brewer and Shipley's One Took Over the Line, the number eight song on our top 10 Jesus countdown. I kind of like the wholesome version. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're if you so inspired, you, you should look at the Lawrence Welk video. It's, it's, worth, the, uh, it's worth the time. Uh, Mike Brewer said that they uh, actually were sitting down, uh, you know, getting ready to play at a coffee house. Uh, by the way, you know, when I was, oh, I don't know, like a very young adolescent, maybe a middle school kid. One of my older friends took me to a coffee house. And I have to admit, that's part of what inspired me to play guitar. If I, At that point, if I could have toured the country playing my guitar, singing my heart out, uh, that, would have been, that would have been my ideal life. But uh, that didn't work out. But they were in a coffee house and fooling around. They actually just did this kind of as a joke. And the next morning, they wrote it down and... Uh, Mike Brewer says we probably were one toke over the line when we uh, when we wrote this song, and uh, he says you know marijuana was kind of a sacrament for me at that point, and so you know the song is really about excess and how if you do anything too much it'll probably kill you someday. Well, too much of one took over the line would, would do it for me. Yeah, would do, would, would do it. Um, that would put me over the line. It's a cute, it's a cool song. It is a funny song. You know, it's interesting too that, I mean, the fact that this song, now again, they also sang protest songs. I think Jerry Garcia played uh, on this album and there's one, uh, there's one song on it. It's a, it's a cry to throw uh, Richard Nixon out of the White House, which actually happened anyway. But um, so it's a whole different time. You know, it's, it's funny in this day and age where this song got banned uh, by the FCC in uh, 1971 uh, you know, we now live in a day and age where uh, there's all kinds of uh, uh, movements to legalize marijuana over the country, uh, uh, legislative initiatives, and certainly it's already legal in several states. Yeah, the most prominent of which is probably Colorado. Yeah. Which yeah. has been good for their economy. It's been very good for their economy, although, uh, uh, again, what they don't tell you is the collateral damage that's happened in the area. and. Uh, you know, it's the age-old debate. I mean, is marijuana an entry-level drug? Does it 
Does it uh, cause people to get involved in um, more serious drugs? And then, but we also know that you could probably argue, and and statistics would back you up, that uh, the social damage that alcohol does, uh, the social cost of alcohol abuse, is so much more than what happens with marijuana. So it's it's a debate, and uh, apparently more and more people in the country are agreeing with folks that think it should at least be uh, non-criminalized, if not you know, legaled and regulate, legalized. Prohibition does not work very often. It, like, never worked. Um, but in the backdrop of this kind of re-evaluating you know, marijuana usage, um, opiates now are, one of the, are the leading cause of death, I think, among uh, men between the ages of 20 and 35. And, uh, uh, you know, they just came out that that's what killed Prince. Um, Two of my that's a case for banning <laughs> well also yeah just the laws of him uh but you know my sons have been to uh two funerals uh this year of kids who you know one an ivy league grad another kid running his own business and both of them um one died before he was 30 and one had just turned 30 and uh, uh victims of opiate overdoses yeah that yeah i mean the opiate problem is is massive in this country largely because people it, a lot of it's connected to abuse of prescription drugs and then once people can't get any more of the prescription drug like you know they turn to heroin it's it's awful it's a horrible horrible cycle yeah but i guess the question is when it comes to the opiates who's the pusher yeah i mean you could argue it's it's the pharmaceutical companies or, and and the doctors that that's a uh, prescribe it. I mean, you know, uh, I, I think uh, again, I have you ever been, I've been prescribed an opiate. I had, uh, some severe pain, I guess I, when I was having kidney stones and I was given an opiate. Um, and I think one time I had a surgical procedure, I had it as well, but I, I remember taking, I just, I couldn't take it cause it was, it, it messed with me too much, but, um, that really, it's such an addictive drug and it really uh, and the effects of it where like it, it ceases to be effective pretty quickly right like, you, you can't you, you get numb to the effects quickly and i mean that's why so many people overdo it i mean it's a terrible terrible thing you know and I, maybe if some good that can come out of you know the fact that this is this is a epidemic that cuts across all kinds of social strata I mean, you you know the meth uh, the meth was a poor poor man's e- epidemic for the most part. Uh, matter of fact, the first place in the country that you could, had to start getting your uh, antihistamines over the counter was in West Virginia uh, because that uh, you know it, you know it was called hillbilly heroin, and you know that was uh, an epidemic that destroyed lives. But it was kind of seen as a blue collar, uh, lower class kind of thing. But this uh, obviously. Uh, you know, Prince was a multimillionaire who had access to anything he really wanted to, but, you know, he ended up dying alone, uh, of, you know, accidental self overdose. And, and, uh, these other two young men had just died. They had, they had access to all kinds of alternatives. Uh, and tragically, uh, they weren't able to, to kick this very, you know, addiction. Again, we're, we are just beginning to understand more and more the chemistry behind addictive behaviors. And, you know, we really need to get to a point where we take away so much of the stigma that's around these these kinds of, of issues. Because, um, you know, there, there are people who, you know, you and I both, and people who can, you know, I can sit down and have a drink and walk away from it. And I know people who just can't stop. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not because they they've chosen... To have an addictive personality. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that 
that and actually I think the research shows that actually when you go away from a prohibitive approach on the stuff, like like countries that have legalized more substances actually do better at treating addicts too. I mean, because again, the, you, the addict doesn't have to be in the shadows and that kind of thing. So people that have addictive issues can, it, it, I just think, I think the war on drugs was lost. I mean, I, I, so I think that thinking about this in a different way around issues of public health. And, uh, or the idea of all you do, need to do is say no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, yeah, I, it's again, it is, you know, some of the various people that were so strongly, uh, you know, for uh, criminalization of these issues, are, you know, are people that had huge drinking problems as yeah. well. You know, it's, it's, that's the tragic irony of it. You know, I heard uh, recently, I heard Pat, Patrick Kennedy, which uh, son of, of the late Senator Ted Kennedy, and Patrick was a uh, m- the U.S. House representative from Rhode Island. And you may remember that um, he crashed his car into the like the front steps of the Capitol building in the middle of the night, uh, and that was finally kind of what became public of his of his issues. And um, you know, his mother died of alcoholism. You know, his father, you know, the the addictive. And, you know, the, the fact that the Kennedys had the disease of, you know, alcoholism, it's, it's prevalent throughout the family. And, um, you know, he also fought with depression. And so, and he also had some serious injuries and a back problem. So he had this kind of toxic mix of, of susceptibility to, to really abusing both prescribed and unprescribed medications and he's you know self-medicated for his depression drank and the pain medication and he literally said when i woke up the next morning i didn't know how i got home and i went to my office and i was terrified i was going to get a phone call that i'd killed somebody in the night he had he said he vaguely remembered that he woke up he didn't know what time it was he thought he had to get to the house for a vote and the fact that he even came out he became he came he went public on his issues and uh which created actually a great controversy in his family at the time. Um, his one brother still won't speak to him. But his book, and I, I'm sorry I don't have the title, but we'll put it in the show notes, uh, a book that just came out. Uh, really, he advocates this idea that we talk about addiction and depression and anxiety as brain illnesses. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, behind, you know, it was a bipartisan uh, legislation that passed that, uh, you know, at your insurance company needs to give you equal access. If you have a brain illness, and I, I think really addictive behaviors are a kind of brain illness, uh, but you should have the same kind of accept, uh, acceptability or accessibility to coverage. Whatever your insurance covers for other major conditions, it should do the same for brain illness. Insurance companies are always good about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, they They're actually, always looking to cut your break if well, they can. Yeah. So the truth of the matter is you will get false information from your insurance company if you're seeking no, treatment. No, Bill, come on. Insurance companies don't do that. Yeah, I know. Bill, these, they, they contract to give you services, and they love doing it. Yeah, right. Don't run down the insurance industry. Okay. These people are well-intentioned people who, I mean, they make a profit from it, but, you know, the commitment of the insurance company goes far beyond profit. Can, can you ask me, how, how, come, how can an insurance company be a nonprofit and make a profit? They aren't nonprofit. Uh, it is? Yeah, I know. That's the one that, that talking about a scam. Independence Blue Cross Blue Shield is a nonprofit. I know. I know. Wow. There you go. Yeah. So at any rate, um, and well, by the way, Scott, do we have a potential uh, sponsor? Exactly. <laughs> if you're an insurance company, you want to, you want to sponsor the show, we'll take it. <laughs> No. Um, so at any rate, I think, uh, 
you know, the advocacy for having non-stigmatized treatment, uh, you know, decriminalizing this behavior. I mean, it's ironic uh, that, uh, you know, we're talking about legalizing marijuana and it is legalized. And there are people who went to jail way too long for minor drug offenses that would not be allowed to work in the marijuana industry. Right. Yeah. This is uh, BuzzFeed has a, has a pot correspondent where I learned some of these facts from who that's, this is what they, they cover pot because it's, a, it's a story that, I mean, there are a lot of stories about, about it now, again, given legalization and all the issues. So we do not yet have a pot correspondent. We do not. We do not. But if any of you are interested in applying for that job, it's please exactly. Do. It doesn't pay well, it doesn't. but it's fun working for it. <laughs> We're looking for self motivated. We, we, we heard the field week. The the field work is very. Uh, the field work is exhilarating. Well, you know, we get back to this song. It's it, it's it's funny. It's kind of this. Uh, you know, it's this cheerful country kind of song that uh, that actually uh, at the time was was uh, quite uh, controversial, countercultural. Matter matter of fact, uh, Hunter Thompson in the introduction to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas mentions it, and uh, I think one of the movies about that book. Uh, uh, the actor actually sings. So, you know, it, in some levels we've come a long way, but at the, at the irony of all of this is that uh, we, we are a country that um, certainly is plagued by the, uh, by the consequences of our excess, whether we're talking drugs, alcohol, food, uh, the fact that we, what, I think you mentioned this earlier, uh, what percentage of the drugs do we take in the world? So like 75%. That's amazing. And like, yeah, like we're like, we're like, we're like 20 some percent of the population. Or even less than that. Yeah. Or 50, and then we 75% of the prescription drugs. Oh, the same thing it used to be. I don't know. What, I mean, I, I don't know what the latest, uh, but uh, we're six to 10% of the world's population. Yet how much of the world's resources do we use? It's pretty remarkable that. How we, much of the world's pot is smoked here? Yeah. A lot of it, you I know, would guess. and it was interesting. There was a a uh, commercial, an anti drug commercial that they were forced to take off the air. But it starts with I can't remember what order it was, but it may have started out with you know some people doing some recreational drugs at a at a party like in California, and they trace the trail of that drug back, and and the final scene was this uh, uh, Mexican family being shot by the drug cartel cartel. And it's saying, um, understand the cost, the true cost of, of your of your recreation. I'm surprised no one wrote a folk song about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we eat too much, we drink too much, we smoke too much, we consume too much, and yet the beat goes on. When you're close to me 
You love me right now to my knees And whenever you let me hit it Sweet like honey when it comes to me Skin is caramel with the cocoa eyes Even got a big sister by the name of Chocolate Brown sugar bay. I guess high off of love Don't know how to behave Sugar, babe, I guess high off of love, don't know how to behave. 